0: Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together as we study God's Word, and let us be challenged to apply His truth to our hearts so that we may serve Him faithfully. May God bless you. If you will, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12, pick up verse 27. As you're turning there, I just want to say another... Uh, word of appreciation for Wendy leading us in uh, these topics of prayer each week. Uh, I believe they've been spot on in every way, and for the many who have taken part in our times of prayer. And you may be wondering, what, what does the future hold? Well, who knows? Do you need to prepare your heart for whatever comes? As David was just sharing, uh, if they hate us, they hated us because they first hated Jesus, first hated God. I think we need to prepare ourselves for what may be. Uh, On Wednesday nights, uh, or Wednesday uh, messages I've, I've been sending out, I dealt with the topic of revival, and revival comes first right here in me, making sure that I have a right relationship with the Lord. Then it spreads as I share that relationship that I have with the Lord with others and encourage others to do likewise. The only way that we're ever going to change the hearts and minds of other people is to change their relationship with God. That's the only way. You can talk to your blue in the face about what you think is right, but until you convince them of who is in control, that there is a God that loves them, and that he gave them a Savior, Jesus Christ, and that is the answer to all of our needs. We'll never see true change. So be in prayer. We do pray for the Holy Spirit's outpouring of His presence and drawing of His Spirit to uh, to draw us and others to Him. But until that takes place, a lot of uncertainty. Allow me to read this passage of Scripture, John chapter 12, verses 27 through 36. Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour." Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from this earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the type of death and of which he was to die. The crowd then answered him, We have heard out of the law that the Son is to remain forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and went away and hid himself from them. Let's bow together. Dear Lord, open our hearts to your truths. Lord, help us to realize that you truly are the only light of this world. And Lord, we need to point others to the light. For we need others to see Jesus as their source of life and light, peace, love, joy, salvation, eternal life. Lord, may we be found faithful in sharing that light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we find ourselves where Jesus is in Jerusalem. This is his final week of life here on earth. And he is preparing himself for to be crucified. Uh, the day of the week is a little bit arbitrary. We don't know exactly what day this is. You can look at uh, historians and commentators and you can find some various different answers. That really doesn't matter. It's what is Jesus doing that matters. So we look first at his humanness. Jesus is an enigma. We can't fully comprehend Jesus here is God the Son, who spoke all creation into being. Go back to John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then you continue on, it says, And nothing came into being that was not created by Him. So Jesus is the voice, the Logos of creation. Everything that has ever been created, He created And now you turn that deity and cram it into a body like this. Can you imagine that? Well, when Jesus took on bodily form, he also adopted human characteristics. He had to eat, he had to drink, he had to do all the things a human has to do. But he also felt like we do. When they drove the nails into his hands and his feet and pierced his side, he felt that. But he also felt other things. When Mary fell before his feet, when Lazarus was in the tomb, and she was weeping for her loss, the shortest verse in all the scripture, Jesus wept. And now we see that in this verse it says, my soul has become troubled. Now Jesus, his spirit, his soul was troubled. Why? Why? Well, you would think he, he was troubled because he's about to be crucified, that painful, agonizing process of being whipped, scourged, his beard plucked out, a crown of thorns crammed onto his head, nails being driven into his hands and feet, and hanging on that cross. You would think that's why his soul would be troubled. That's not. He knew exactly what was going to take place. Why was he going to die? He was dying for your sins and my sins and the sin of the world. At that moment on the cross, Jesus had the weight, the burden of every single sin ever committed and ever would be committed. The guilt of that sin was placed on him. What did that do between he and the father? God had to turn his back on his son for the one and only time in all of eternity. That's why Jesus' soul was troubled. His, his fiber, his, his entire being was being torn apart, knowing that for that brief time that he and God the Father would be separated. I can't understand that. I can't fathom that. I can't explain it other than knowing that that's what took place. So that's why Jesus' heart or soul was troubled. Then he asked the question. Should I ask? Should I say, Father, save me from this hour? Isn't that what we would do? I don't want to go through this. As a matter of fact, that kind of relates to that prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember what he said? Father, if possible... Let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. He repeated that. He was agonizing over what he knew was going to take place. So he, he asked the question, should I, should I ask the Father, save me from this hour? The way he asked it was obviously that he was expecting a no answer. He says, no, but for this purpose, I came for this hour. Here's the reason why I came, to die for the sins of the people. There's no way for me to escape that because that's the only reason why I came. A lot of people say, well, he came to to heal people, to do all these miracles, to teach people how to live a righteous life. Well, yeah, he did all that. But that's not the whole reason why Jesus came. Jesus came to be our Savior. The only way that Jesus could be our Savior is to die for our sins. And to rise to prove that he had the power over the penalty of sin, which is death. So, Jesus was not asking God to save him from this. When he made that question, he was doing it in a way expecting to say no. The only reason why I came was for this hour. To save people from their sins. That's why Jesus' soul was troubled. It wasn't for fear of pain is for the dealing with the separation that he would experience between himself and God. In the continuation of that, but for this hour I came, for this purpose I came to this hour, Father, glorify thy name. If you go back through every single thing that Jesus taught, every single thing that Jesus did, do you see any of it To glorify himself, it was always to be obedient to God the Father. Many times in John he says, I do not do anything other than what the Father has shown me or told me. Everything was total obedience to God the Father. So he always did everything to glorify God the Father. Glorify thy name. So we look and we have something that rarely happens, but happened three different times. A voice spoke from heaven. Now, I don't know about y'all, that would have been a pretty interesting experience if you had been there that day. To have been in the crowd around Jesus, listening to him teach, seeing these Greeks come up asking questions hearing all about what Jesus had done and raising Lazarus from the dead, from the people in the crowd. All sorts of different things were happening all at the same time. And then when Jesus said, Father, glorify my name," thy name, a voice spoke out of heaven and said, I have both glorified it, past tense, and will glorify it again, future tense. Now, here's the voice of God speaking. What did he mean by, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again? Well, God has glorified his name all the way since the beginning of time. But, speaking specifically towards Jesus, he has glorified his name through the life of Jesus. Again, everything Jesus did was done in obedience to God the Father. So, everything that Jesus did glorified the Father. So God was already being glorified, had been glorified through the miracles, the teachings, and the ministry of His Son Jesus here on earth. And then He says, and I will glorify it again. Well, we got to just look basically a few days later when Jesus dies on the cross and then on that third day He raises from the dead to prove that He has the power to give salvation and eternal life. And then later he ascends back to the Father. When people saw that, obviously God was being glorified through the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. So we see that there is a purpose, a spiritual purpose for everything that Jesus did. Everything that he did was for the glory of God. And God was glorifying his Son because Jesus was obedient. So we look and we see this voice from heaven. I said it happened three different times. First time was at Jesus' uh, baptism. We look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. And it says, And behold, a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Why did this voice come out of heaven? Well, let's look just a little bit past where the voice came. Jesus said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sake. That's verse 30 in uh, John chapter 12. Did Jesus need an audible voice to come out of heaven to say, you're doing a good job? No. He had a perfect communication between himself, God the Son, and God the Father. That's why he was able to say, I do nothing that the Father does not tell me to do or say. So we know that Jesus does not need an audible voice out of heaven to tell him what to do. But when Jesus was baptized, John had seen him coming and said, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And then Jesus came and said, I must be baptized. And John said, I'm not worthy to baptize you. You need to be baptized in me. And Jesus said, According to What is right, I'm to be baptized by you. And John baptized him. And as Jesus came straightway up out of the water, this voice from heaven said, Behold, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus didn't need to hear that. He already knew that. The people around Jesus needed to hear God saying, This is my Son. And he is being obedient to me, and that is why I am well pleased with him. Well, that's not the only time. Later on in Jesus' ministry, he took Peter, James, and John with him, went out on the hillside. And there he separated himself from these three. And they looked, and they saw two others standing with Jesus, Moses and Elijah. And Peter, being the one who always spoke up first, said, Lord, shall we not build tabernacles, tents, lean-tos for the three of you to stay in? And here's what happened. Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. While he, Peter, was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And he adds this, Listen to him. Now here are the apostles, three of the main ones, the inner circle of the apostles, the ones who were always with Jesus. If he called any out of the group to go with him, it was these three. When Jesus went off to pray, these three went with him. They fell asleep and Jesus came back and said, Can you not stay asleep while I pray? Can you not pray with me? But these three men with that inner circle... Peter wrote a couple of books. He was a pioneer in the mission field. Uh, John wrote uh, the book of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Revelations, another powerful voice for the Lord. James and John were brothers. Uh, We don't hear a lot about James other than being a cohort with John, but these were the ones that Jesus chose to be his inner circle of people. Why did they need to hear this? They, even at that time, were struggling with who this man Jesus is. They saw his humanity. They saw these miracles. They saw all these other things. But they were still struggling. Are you truly the Messiah? And so when the voice came out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. God was saying, you need to listen. Peter, hush and listen. Listen. You talk too much. You're not listening enough. We need to do the same thing. We talk a lot. We don't listen enough to the Lord. And now we look at this third time. And Jesus says, this was not for my benefit, but it was for your benefit. Why did this group, this crowd around Jesus need to hear this? Now, he didn't say, this is my beloved son, like he did last time. He said, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. He was answering Jesus, what Jesus said. Jesus called out to the Lord, Father, glorify your name. God the Father said back to Jesus, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Now, not everybody heard it as a voice. The scriptures say that some thought that it was thunder. Others thought that it was a voice from an angel. At least they recognized it as a voice. Well, neither one of the groups really had it right. It was not a thunder. It was not something unintelligible. The other group at least knew that it was intelligible words. But they thought it was an angel. It was not an angel. It was God the Father. And when we look at that, we realize that God was speaking the truth to his son. And this crowd, some of them may have been the ones who shouted Hosanna when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. Some of them were the Greeks that had come wanting to have an audience with Jesus. Others were just standing around out of curiosity. Who is this man? What is it that he's teaching? Is it something I'm interested in? What can I get out of him? I think that really... Kind of helps me to understand why some of them probably did not understand that this was a voice from heaven. I think it may have just been those who had truly believed that Jesus was of God. At least of God, if not God the Son, Messiah. That their hearts were able to hear these words from heaven. The ones who are just there out of curiosity or see what they can get out of Jesus, you know, maybe they just heard it as a rumble and thunder. Also, their hearts were not in tune with God. I don't know I wasn't there. What do you think you would have heard if you were there? Would you have heard the voice out of heaven? Or just heard thunder? I truly believe that it would have depended on your personal relationship with God. Whether or not you're surrendered to Him. That you're living for Him. That He is Lord of your life. Well, after that, picking up verses 31 through 33. Jesus said, now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. If, I, if And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the, type, the kind of death that he would die. Jesus is declaring victory. He's declaring it before it takes place. Well, Jesus was always victorious. He already knew what was going to take place. He knew that he was going to be crucified. He knew the outcome of his crucifixion. And basically that's what he is saying in verse 31. Now judgment is on this world. How? Why? Jesus said, I did not come to judge, but to save. Then the very next word says, But if you do not accept me, If you reject me, then you have been judged already. You're judged by your rejection of Jesus. So what Jesus is saying is that judgment is now coming. The world will have all the evidence that it needs to know that Jesus is the Messiah. And if you believe on His name, if you believe in Him as Savior and Lord, if you believe in His crucifixion, His death, burial, and resurrection, then you can have salvation. And you can... No longer worry about judgment because salvation erases the penalty of sin. Eternal life is given to us. But for those who still reject, they will stand in judgment. There is no neutral ground. There is no in-between. There is no, well, I don't care who Jesus is. I'm not accepting him. I'm not rejecting him. There is no neutral ground. You either accept Him or your non-acceptance is rejection. You have to have bowed before the Lord, accepted Him as Lord of your life, surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, saying, Jesus, You died for me. You rose to give me eternal life. It is only because of You and how You can work in my life that I can live for You. That is salvation. Anything less than that calls for judgment. But then Jesus adds and says, and the ruler of this world will be cast out. Notice it says, future tense, will be cast out. Well, has Satan been cast out of this world yet? Obviously not. You and I face him every day, don't we? We struggle against his forces of evil every single day. So he's not cast out yet, but he's already been defeated. Did you know this for a fact that Satan has absolutely no power over you or me other than what we give him? Think about it. Satan has no power over you or me other than what we allow him to do in our lives. That's the victory that Jesus has already won. When we place Jesus as Lord of our lives, and Satan has no control. He has no power over us. The only power we give him, it, he has, is what we give him. But there is going to be a final casting out. We get over to Revelation, and we see it mapped out. When Jesus comes again, his second coming... Jesus will not come as Savior. He will come as judge. And he will judge Satan and all of his demons. They will be cast into that lake of fire. They will be done away with. I know there's a period of time where he'll be captured, but then released, and then the end will happen. How that takes place, I can read it and still not know exactly how it will take place. It doesn't matter. All I worry about not worry about but all I'm concerned about is that Jesus is the victor and he already is he has already won the victory he's declared it then he says if i be lifted up now everybody there knew exactly what Jesus was talking about because he even says he said this to indicate the type of death that he would die he knew that he would be lifted up on a cross nailed to a cross physically elevated for others to see. If I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. How did a simple crucifixion of a human being draw people to God? Because that was not a human. Yes, it was. 100% God, 100% man. He died on a cross. But it was why He died, how He died, and the result of His death and resurrection That made all the difference. It wasn't just being hanged on a cross. Nailed to the cross. That drew people to himself. It was the aftermath. It was the resurrection. Proving that death had no power over him. And then God. Showed the world. His power. Through the power of Jesus resurrection. No doubt about it. So Jesus was saying. If I be lifted up. Now that. Phrase lifted up can actually have two different meanings. One's physical, being elevated, lifted up physically, being nailed to the cross. And another is by honor. If I be honored, well, that's that next phase that we have to choose. Do we honor the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? Is he truly Lord of our lives because of what he has done for us? Well, then there's a confusion verse 34. The crowd around him said... We have heard out of the law that the Christ is, the, is to remain forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up and die for us? Who is this Son of Man? Now, some of the Jews really struggled with Jesus being the Messiah. They thought that this Messiah would come and reign over them forever. Earthly reign. They thought that this man, whoever this Messiah would be, would come and live forever on earth. And reign over his people for all of eternity. So they wondered, well, if you're going to die, then maybe there's someone else. Maybe there's another who's the Messiah. Maybe you're just a son of man and you're not the Messiah. They really did struggle. If we'd been there, we probably would struggle too. But Jesus knows their hearts. He says, I'm only going to be with you for a short time. I'm the light of the world. You need to look to the light. You need to follow the light. You need to follow me. I am the only answer. Later on, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is boldly saying, I'm the only source of life and light. Follow me. If not, you go walk in darkness for the rest of your lives. And here's the answer. Follow the light and you will receive eternal life. Follow the darkness and you will die in your sins and receive eternal death. There is no in between. You either follow the light and have eternal life or follow the darkness and have eternal death. That's it. That's the only choices we have. And so Jesus was simply saying, accept the light while it's still here. Now, what what, what did he mean by while it's still here? Did he mean in a few short days I'm going to die and it's going to be over? You won't have another chance to follow the light? Or maybe up to those 40 days after when Jesus was ascended into heaven? That's your window of opportunity. I've had too many revival preachers you know, sit here and click off seconds and say... You, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to make a decision for Christ, folks. We're not putting a time frame on it, but there is a time frame. How many heartbeats do you have left? How many breaths do you have left? Do you know? Do you know how long you're going to live? How about your friend, your neighbor, your co-worker, your family member? Are they falling the light? That's the most crucial question you can ask. Am I following the light? Are those around me following the light? Until they receive their or breathe their last breath, there is time to follow the light. There's going to be an end time where no one will ever be able to follow the light again. That's when Jesus comes again. His second coming is not to be a savior. He will no longer be savior. He will be judge. And the dead in Christ will rise. Those who are still remaining will rise to be with him. There's this judgment seat where Jesus is going to judge man by his relationship to the Lord, by his deeds. Those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life are the ones who have followed the light. And they know already that they're saved. They already know where their eternal destination is, it's heaven. But those whose name is not in the book of life will not receive eternal life but be condemned to eternal death. And there will be no more opportunities to follow the light. So, to me it's hard to imagine being in the crowd that day. Jesus had not yet died for their sins. He had not risen from the dead. He had not ascended to the Father. A lot of that was still future tense. All they're hearing is a man that they see as a human being, teaching these wonderful things, talking about what he is going to do, and then all of a sudden he says, Father, glorify your name, and a voice from heaven says, I have already glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Man, what would that have done to you? Maybe I need to really listen to this guy. Maybe there's something more about him than just these neat miracles that he's done and these nice teachings that he's teaching. Could he really be Savior? Could he really be Messiah, the Christ? Well, as true believers, I pray we're all truly following the light that we are living a daily surrendered life to the Lord, allowing Him to guide us and use us and draw us along the path that He desires us to follow, to live obediently to His will. This passage began with, Now my soul has become troubled. We know why Jesus' soul was troubled is because of the separation that He would experience between Himself and God when the weight of the burdens of sin... The entire world were placed upon him. Is our own soul troubled at all? If so, why? Why wouldn't it be? Look at the world around us. Shouldn't our soul be troubled, seeing the hearts and the lives of the majority of the people around us that do not know Jesus, the Savior and Lord, and they hate God. And they hate us for our loving God. Our soul ought to be troubled. Well, what do we do about that trouble? We allow God to use us as his change agents to share the gospel, to pray that the Holy Spirit will work in their lives as they hear the gospel, and pray for a transformation to take place in their lives so that they too can be a follower of the light, Jesus. The only thing we can do is be obedient. What is God calling you and me to do? How can we live obediently to Him? Let's bow together in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you today realizing that there's only one source of life that's Jesus. Lord, in all the uncertain times that we live in right now, He is the only thing that is dependable. The only thing that's not going to change. He is our source of salvation and eternal life. No other source. He's the only one. But our world around us does not believe that. They believe that they can just live their life however they want, as long as they feel good about it and hopefully aren't hurting the feelings of too many other people. Lord, they're lost. They're dying in their sins. Lord, Jesus asked, should I ask that I be taken away from this hour? No. No. Came for this hour. Lord, should we ask, should we be released from the responsibility of sharing your love with others? No. That's why we're still here. Help us, Lord, be obedient. Allow you to work in us and through us to do your good and acceptable and perfect will. Whatever your will is, may we be found faithful. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.